Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sensat. What's going on, man? Oh, nothing much, Christopher. How are you? Pretty good. This was a good episode, man. Your first full uh, co-host duties. Oh, yeah. I was ultra nervous, but I'm glad I got the first one out of the way, and we've got a long season to look forward to, so... Uh, this was a good one. This um, Our first episode of the season was with Bianca Haltier-Corey. Uh, she's the construction technology manager at Eagle Point Software. And, you know, we talked a lot about the this idea of disruption, about it in the industry. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, how the conversation went? Yeah, so I had the pleasure of meeting, meeting Bianca uh, in a Construction Progress Coalition breakout room. And in that room, we talked a lot about the culture of the industry. And, you know, from that point on, I figured she'd, you know, be an amazing guest for the AEC Disruptors. And, you know, it was an awesome episode that we did with her. Um, you know, she started her career in New York City, which I, you know, as somebody who's built a building downtown, I couldn't imagine doing that um you know in new york city and building the big apple as we said in the podcast um and then from there she made the leap over to the tech side which you know that is kind of a similar background to me um so we had a great conversation really around the culture of the industry and you know how the different um sectors of the industry whether it's architecture engineering or construction you know each of those um, sectors has a whole different cast of characters and they all, you know, learn differently, adapt to disruption differently. Um, so it was a really great conversation geared around adaptability and, you know, being able to be ready for what comes next. It was jam-packed. I mean, we talked everything about, you know, construction in New York to Jane Jacobs and city planning to learning and <laughs> disruption. So it was, uh, it was a great episode. And um, I hope everyone gets to listen to it and I hope you get to enjoy it and check back for more. We have Bianca Holtier Corey in today. Um, so we're very excited to have you. Um, you know, for me, I'm very excited to have a fellow CPC member. Um, you know, I really like the mission of that organization and, you know, everything that they do is, you know, continuously striving to push the industry forward. And I know that you're a big part of that. So thank you for doing that. So I, I did some research on you yesterday. What, what's your background and what inspired you to go into construction? Well, first and foremost, Jackson, thanks so much for the opportunity to be part of the AC Disruptors podcast. I'm a huge fan. Um, and as far as the CPC goes, we thank you for your participation. And um, to your point, it is such a great group of like-minded uh, folks that really want to drive and accelerate um, the way we look at tech and fusing into construction and the AC space in general. So um, it's really cool to be a part of that. And um, as far as, you know, my background, like, you know, New York is such a important part of my, my history. And, um, you know, I grew up in Ohio and um, ended up pursuing my undergrad in New York and started out uh, actually as a biology major. So I went in thinking I was going to be pre-med. Um, and then 
uh, spent a semester abroad where um, I went to Florence and just being in the like the birthplace of the Renaissance and studying European architecture, um, just that kind of piqued my interest in uh, city planning and urban design. And then fast track to um, you know graduation, looking for work, I ended up working for a general contractor right out of school. And so uh, my love for construction uh, emerged. It kind of parlayed into um, more of the construction management and working on the job site and being able to be in New York City where, you know, logistical challenges are, um, you're faced with that continuously. Um, toughest of the trades, kind of going to battle every day in a variety of ways, whether it's the toughest clients, very demanding, or um, just the, the environment itself. But, you know, that's the beauty of um, New York City, the Big Apple. Um, and it really shaped and helped me develop, you know, it was pretty formative, formative, formative years being there as an undergrad, but then living there for another decade. Um, it really kind of shaped things. So I, I love it. I had kind of a similar experience because growing up, my dad was a football coach and I grew up in Texas. So, you know, it's really big here. Yeah. And that's what I always wanted to do. And play he football? didn't want me. Yeah. He, he, no, not play football. I knew I, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what I wanted to do despite him being like, no, you should go do something else. And I didn't really get inspired to you know think about joining this industry until we moved to a neighborhood where a lot of houses were being built Uh and I got to you know I'd be on my bike and I'd see houses go from big piles of dirt that just looked terrible but were fun to play on um, (laughs) to you know um, you know these big structures Um, and you know whenever they're doing the framing it seems like it just goes up so quickly and I thought it was so interesting and then um, you know as I got older, my parents decided to build a house and, you know, we got to have meetings with the architect weekly. And I just, I fell in love with the process. Um, So then I went to school for construction, you know, ended up with a mechanical contractor and um, those battles that you were describing. um, I remember those vividly. Um, So my last project was actually, you know, in downtown Austin and, you know, there's a lot of struggles that come from working downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, And then during that time, I went to New York City um, and, you know, I saw a lot of buildings going up and I was like, I cannot believe they're able to build buildings there, like the logistics and everything like that. So what was it like, you know, building the Big Apple for you? (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Um, So building the Big Apple, it is definitely, um, it's such a dynamic um, world and, you know, it is epicenter of you know, cultural uh, arts and finance. And so it's, it's kind of this um, convergence of the space that happens where, um, you know, like it's a combination of art and science and, you know, the best of it's super competitive at the same time. Um, And the, you know, the expectations are pretty high stakes. So you could kind of continuously not only professionally and personally trying to navigate that, but there's just this um, this goal in mind of being able to aim high and really, you know, it's cliche, but it's kind of like where your dreams can happen. The concrete jungle, it's this, it, you know, it's just never ending. So there's a lot of opportunity. At the same time, I 
kind of when I reflect back on the experience, yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges too that come with it. And, um, you know, it made me a lot more resilient. Uh, it was good resiliency training. So as I like reflect over the past year, you know, it's kind of, there's always in the back of my mind, like the experiences I've had in, in New York City have kind of shaped, again, not only how I've coped in my day-to-day -day work life, but, you know, when you're, when globally we're, we went through a crisis together, it kind of, um, you know, I had to kind of take a, mo a minute there to remember and recall like how to um, kind of survive through some challenging times. So um, I think it, it, it definitely, it's a different animal. It's like a, you know, you learn how to build up from that. And so it's not just the building. It's like, I, I made the best of friends in New York. I still keep in touch with all the, you know, all my good friends from um, construction and just school. And so it's just a, it's definitely a very special place, I think. So a lot to learn in New York. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. sure it is very cool to be, you know, in, you know, whichever borough you're in and, yeah. you know, you look over and there's this tall building and you're like, I, you know, I built that. I built that. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a, to be a part of it for sure. It's uh, there's, and, and not only like the boroughs too, it's like so many um, just like the street. So one of my, one of my, uh, I would say like one of the best minds uh, is Jane Jacobs. And so she really studied like the city at the, like the sidewalk level. And then, you know, it just really, it kind of makes you think of, so boroughs like Brooklyn is very different from Queens and they're, you know, they all have their um, like the best restaurants and just the, like this, the spirit of it is, is very vibrant. And, and then the same thing is like Greenpoint is a neighborhood that looked so different um, when I went to school and now like Greenpoint, Williamsburg, you know, those, those um, sections of Brooklyn are very developed and um, it's just, it, the landscape has changed in 15 years. Like sometimes I don't even recognize it. It's that disruptive. <laughs> so. Well, that's a good segue because, you know, our theme this season is disruption, which is kind of funny because of the name of our podcast. You know, it's kind of like whenever we you want to uh, reinforce disruption. It's, it's like when you're watching a movie and they drop the name of the movie in the dialogue and you're like, there it is. That's, <laughs> that's what we're doing this season. They try to define a word by using the word. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so. In your time in the industry, I know for me personally, you know, and it's kind of one of the things that I miss the most is you deal with, a, you know, a large cast of characters, you know, you're, you yeah. talk to designers every day, engineers, depending on whether you're on the general or subcontractor side, you know, you're interacting with the management from each team, as well as just about every field member on the site, you know, from day laborers all the way to senior superintendents um and you know all of those people are different and they all come from different backgrounds which means when disruption comes into their work especially you know those who have been installing for years on end you know some people installing you know longer mm -hmm. than you know some people in the field have even been alive um and you know technology you know, for the next 10 years are going to be, it's going to look a lot different than the last 50 years. And when you look at the different personas 
Um, how would you say the different personas typically adapt to disruption within their daily lives when it comes to you know their workflows and what would be a good way to you know tailor the you know learning or technology to each of the different respective roles in a project to where they can you know get the most out of you know whatever the disruptor is whether it's a new piece of technology or something like that um you know, and basically just not make it to where it makes their lives harder, you know, it makes their lives easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I love the way you frame that it's, it's really important to, um, be mindful of the different, um, learning curves and also to understand that, you know, the experience, everyone has a very different experience and how they've you know, what role they currently are in, or if they are a very seasoned professional, they can offer, you know, this wealth of knowledge. And I, I feel like we have to kind of capture and cherish that. Um, You know, it's, I think of my dad often because he, he makes instruments now and he is, uh, he did industrial design. And then, um, so he also worked in model making and worked with manufacturers. Um, But then, so you know, ultimately he is now just focusing on making this craft. Like he builds instruments from scratch, violins, cellos, violas, and a little different, but everyone has some kind of talent that they can, that needs to be preserved. And also as we have millennials coming onto the job site and, you know, the trend is like they, you know, are very tech uh, embraced and they want to be able to utilize the latest and greatest tools. And I think there's a way to uh, help kind of marry up the two worlds. Um, and then looking at each, each role on the job site or in the office. So it could be finance, like, you know, construction accounting is critical. Um, pre-construction, you have your purchasing team and then going into bidding and estimating. And then how do these all work, you know, with you know, the development of the scope of work and looking at architects and engineers, everyone is learning very differently, but we're also all trying to quickly adapt and multitask and use different tools. And um, so it's kind of equipping people by understanding and getting, you know, kind of under the hood to understand what's the best way that people learn and um, kind of make those adjustments. And it's kind of like a, a trial experience. And I think, you know, there, there could be some incentives in place as well. So to incentivize, um, or how do you motivate your teams? So it, it's looking at each uh, function by kind of the overall objective. So strategically, if there is a new implementation of a tool and how that gets uh, rolled out at the organization, you have to look at each department and you also have to look if, if it's in line with the overall objectives of the business. And um, you know, once people make the investment in a, a, a technology, there definitely has to be some kind of adoption or traction and utilization rights to make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck and usage out of it. So. Um, not only is it convincing people to uh, purchase the tool, but then the I think the most important part comes with the the usage and making sure that you know there's an understanding of how to get up and running quickly and efficiently, and then um, just long term, like are you are you training uh, your current employees, and then how do you onboard new employees to learn the tool? 
um, and just really breaking it down by those roles and projects. Yeah, it, it feels like there's an invisible wall, um, especially for those who have been installing work for a long time. And they're like, I've been doing it this way forever. We've been mm -hmm. making money doing it like this. Yeah. I've been successful doing it like this. I'm going to keep doing this. And the other side is how can we, you know, introduce new tools that will make them more efficient. Mm -hmm. And the, the way you break through this invisible wall is make them think, you know, I couldn't do my job without this. Because whenever you introduce something new to them, you know, they've never heard of it. So they're, mm -hmm. they've been doing their job without it, you know, for 30 years. Yeah. They want to continue doing that. Right. And I think it's important too, to illustrate the, you know, I think people are hesitant to adopt something because it implies that what I've been doing before is wrong or, mm -hmm. you know, incorrect. And so I've been doing it this way forever. Now you're telling me there's another way that says that I was doing it incorrect. But if we really come from the angle of what you were doing before was right for the right time, and now we want to try to illustrate another way of doing it and show you the benefits, then I think that starts to help with that mentality. And you mentioned something I thought was interesting, um, Bianca, about um, everyone has a talent that we want to preserve in the sense that, you know, a lot of times when we think of mentors, it's always like a, um, a more senior and a, and a younger professional. That's what we right. think of is that relationship. But what it really needs to be is that bi-directional relationship yeah. where you, you may have all the experience from being in the field. And maybe I have all the experience from the technology and you can learn from me and I can learn from you. Exactly. And it's really approaching this idea of mentorship even differently and really trying to pull into everyone's, uh, the fact that everyone has their own talents and learning from each other. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So on point with that. So you're, you're really um, taking everyone's strengths and um, optimizing that together. And, and that bi-directional feedback is, is essential to um, not only driving the, um, you know, kind of the inception point of this is a new tool let's not be scared by it or turned off by it you know definitely you hear, you hear that resistance often of like well it's not broke you know it's why would we you know bother even exploring something like this but and but on the flip side there are surprising elements of um, change agents that you think okay this this personality or this character is not going to want to do it. And then we're surprised that in reality, they're like, well, this is, this has been in existence for how long? How come I didn't know about it? And it's more of just like that awareness. And then they become the champion and the driver of that, um, you know, the super user to make sure that like the entire team's using it. And so and I also, it kind of made me, it kind of makes me think a little bit even about you know again this like misconception of oh trade partners or like subcontractors like we always often think of like okay the top tier organizations are the innovative leaders of the pack but sometimes if we look into um, a smaller organization that is more nimble and quick they might realize they have to um, be quick to adopt and and as things are it's like disrupting they're realizing like they can look internally and say, hey, like we actually have a solution and we can, because of our agility and our size, we can uh, be able to 
change and pivot faster. So even looking at like prefabrication, you know, outfits, I think that's kind of an interesting exploration. And then it kind of then builds upon the like the manufacturing and con construction overlap. But going back to the mindsets and the shifts, I think it's incredible. It's a, it's a good time for the industry. And I think, you know, maybe there's been pockets of like Jackson, I'm, you know, probably in your experience too, you've wanted to implement something and, you know, maybe you've been, you've experienced kind of like that wall of, you know, how do I, I can't, I know I need to use something like this, but, you know, whether it's a budgeting issue or what, you know, if it's just not the right time, but you know, it's the right thing for the company that can be a challenge. And I think there's a lot of people that have experienced that in some time, at some point in their, their role in construction. But I mean, I've, I've faced it early on and now it's like things that you may have been talking about five years ago are now becoming second nature. And so ingrained in the culture that it's, there's a kind of a major overall happening with tech. Mm -hmm. so. so do you think that culture is which, what maybe keeping us from being able to disrupt or innovate or embrace? So I think culturally um, there is like the, the way you can kind of, I mean, the way I come in at it is that every organization there's, you have your visionaries and then you have your influencers. Um, and then you have the people that are just content and they don't want to shift and that's okay. We have to like, there's no, you know, the, the more um, diverse we can be in how we operate, the, I think the better our strengths are collectively as a group. But at the same time, sometimes we have to look at the, the, the equation of, okay, if there's not enough um, uh, exploration of or consideration of new tools and technologies that ultimately like hurts the company in the long run. Um, so a company that wants to invest not only in its tools, but the people to learn those tools, I think they have a leg up in competitively speaking. So I think it comes down to like your, if you dollarize disruption, it could start to make sense um, and not be such a, uh, it's not to, you know, if we start to look at disruption, not as a scary thing, but as a, um, a good motivator for business, um, I think it starts to get the wheels mo moving a little differently. I worked for a mechanical contractor. And for me, the person who I thought was the most important person in the entire company was a guy who had been in the trade for 40 years. He had mm -hmm. seen just about everything when it comes to installation and means and methods. Um, he always knew you know, what pipe to use when, what, you know, couplings to use when and everything like that. But when it came to, you know, bringing out an iPad to the field, you know, that was yeah. a real struggle. Yeah. And, you know, I, anytime, you know, something would go wrong in that respect, I'd be the first person he'd call to help him go through it. And I think a big thing is, is, you know, the first step for people like that, like at the end of the day on the construction side, you know, we don't make money by necessarily using tools. We make money by installing work, you know, on time yeah. within budget, mm -hmm. you know, and at the specified level of quality, that's the most important thing. So we work backwards from that. So our field team is the most important those are the ones who need to be the main adopters. But at the same time, we can't disrupt 
what they're there to do, which is install the work. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. So right on. I think the biggest thing is first <laughs> acceptance that this tool <laughs> is going to help you. And the second thing is, you know, putting the effort in to help them implement it because without proper implementation, it's going to fall by the wayside and they're going to lose confidence in it. And before you know it, you're going to get emails saying, Hey, I need you to buy me, you know, a set of paper drawings mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. It's leaning back in time of, okay. So almost to your, to your point of um, that acceptance point of it, this, what direction do you want to head? Do you want to keep going forward and drive profitability and like what in kind of position it by your your goals and objectives and then the second piece is that um that implementation how much it sticks so and then sifting through that that hype um that i think we're often faced now and helping diffuse the the tool fatigue um and i think we all kind of deal with all these different um solutions that are coming into play and then so helping really drill down by like prioritization and then so that we're not all overwhelmed in our day-to-day and becoming more, ultimately we want to become more efficient and better at what we do, but builders, they're right. The number one priority is to build. And, and I think helping to make things as um, user-friendly, not only in the, the tech itself, but the, the way it's, rolled out and understood, then it's it definitely will change. It'll help, you know, tenfold. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Trying to categorize different types of disruption and like, you know, even just looking at um, the weather being a factor and, but like, so micro viewpoints of, uh, disruption versus like macro. Cause I, I was like, this is such a great topic. Like you can really go many, many ways with it. So we seem to be touching a lot on this idea of, I mean, one is we're talking about like, how are we going to embrace disruption, uh, in the world of construction, yeah. but then it seems like, and I wonder do you think the thing we all need to focus on, because you talk about like we learn differently, we have different skill sets for us to be able to successfully embrace and embrace disruption. Do we need to make sure we're really good at transferring knowledge and training and teaching and doing it in a sustainable way so that whatever it is, what's keeping us from being able to embrace it is simply the education. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, that's an excellent point because when we look at training or um, just the the way we understand a new tool, um, it goes beyond just okay, like a user guide. You know, we kind of have to understand what 
where you're at in your learning and how maybe you already have some kind of basic knowledge. Maybe you're already advanced and you need to, we have to assess that. Um, but it's working together, um, you know, whether it is uh, by a management type, like top down approach, maybe it's driven by the corporate learning and development initiative. Um, but at the, on the same time, you know, if it's coming from within, maybe there's somebody that really wants to learn something. I think we have to listen and understand that, that you know, there is um, a lot of value there. Perhaps that, you know, sparks a new conversation of looking at a new way to train and to learn and to get educated on it. So it's like, first, I think there's like a sales piece to it. There's always going to be someone that wants to sell you a product. And then there's also the, the person that sees the value in that product, but then they they run into the that you know, there's a, sh a shortcoming of like, are they successfully able to convince people to come on board with it, and why should they buy it? But then it's if there is this um, you know this motion to go ahead and buy it and invest it, and then there's this a whole other mountain to climb of well, how are you going to train your whole organization on? this new tool. So being able to get very granular after like a, you know, high altitude look at something is really important to the overall um, education piece to disruption. And then again, it's like, I think it's the perception of disruption versus the reality of disruption. So yes, tech is very disruptive um, and it can get, it, we're kind of in a foggy state with it. But if you look at it from again, like what is this going to change in the organization? Um, I think that starts to resonate with people. So depending on who you have to, what kind of stakeholders you have to work with on that. Absolutely. <laughs> so we, we've talked, a, we've, we've touched a little bit on the culture of the industry. And one of the things that I've seen is, you know, people see tool that's going to make them more efficient and mm -hmm. help with their workflows and you know it's it's like whenever you buy a new piece of furniture or when you're a kid you get a new set of legos and you say to yourself Whoa, i can you build have to be this. a kid for that i still get legos <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you seen the architecture series hey I, yeah. i'm gonna have a nice millennium falcon behind me before you know it <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, you open up the box and some people are like, I can build this without the instructions, Yeah, you know, and you get going and eventually you get not frustrated with yourself. You get frustrated with how complicated it is to put this thing together. Yeah. So for that's me, that's the importance of, you know, properly implementing whatever it is that you're going to be using or else you're going to get frustrated with it and you're going to blame that for your woes mm -hmm. rather than you know giving it the proper chance and you'll have some leftover pieces probably <laughs> 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 like what is this for yeah well and i think that kind of touches on like not giving up uh like just to keep forging ahead when there is uh some challenges with the tech or trying to get, you know, more immersed in it. And then I think there's that kind of ongoing activity that does come with it. And to, you know, some 
some are some people are just very gifted at um, getting up and running up to speed quickly on something and then you know they don't have to revisit anything but then it's you know, some, you know, some folks just need a little bit more time and they need to have kind of like, it could be remedial training and that's okay too. It's just where you're at in your, your kind of like the life cycle of your learning with this tool um, and not to like throw your hands up in the air because that's like, you know, defeats the whole purpose of why that tool matters. So um, yeah, it's, it's an, kind of an interesting exploration of how do you pursue something when it like the going gets tough and not shying away from it. Um, and so what are like the methods to include in that, um, that digital handbook of learning? Mm -hmm. So at what point, so, you know, uh, we, we, like we, like I said, we've touched on the culture, but, and, you know, making sure that companies take the time to implement properly but how can we as, you know, the champions of that disruption or that technology, um, you know, kind of take a look in the mirror and think of how we can change our methods for helping companies with implementation to make it easier on them? That's that's very almost a heavy question because I feel like that, you know, it, it does require us to look outside of. So if we do have to look in the mirror, but we also have to look outside of ourselves a little bit to mm -hmm. say, you know, what I think is right doesn't necessarily mean that that is the the end all be all. That is not the approach to take when we're trying to engage and make sure that there is um, kind of like a retention going on and we don't the last thing we want is you know like a turnover and so when you're looking at how you go about learning it um, I think being able to be responsive and adaptive obviously is those are the two key criteria but then also um, making sure that the disruption is like a force for good and you know I think that becomes like the common denominator um, so how we go about managing and measuring disruption as it relates to the the learning do you think it do you think we can measure it or how would you measure it so i because i think it is kind of this um it is a gray area it's not um disruption we you know we kind of started talking about the weather the weather when you're on the job site that could be disruptive um you know, you have to start to bucketize it. And I think it is doable. It's, it's something that I don't know if you, you know, it's been dissected or examined enough, but I think the disruption can be measured in the sense of, okay, is this almost like a key priority for us? Because this, this disruptive tool, let's say, this is going to change the, you know, it's going to drive savings, it's going to reduce rework. When you start to talk about things that resonate from like the field activities, like a reduction in entry for RFIs, like, can we reduce the amount of RFIs that are coming in and out? Like, I think it starts to make a little bit more sense when you plug it into a, uh, an activity on like submittals, RFIs, reporting. It has some context. Yeah, exactly. So giving context to the disruption. The weather one's interesting. Um, I mean, because you, 
I, I thought the same thing behind my house, there's a commercial lot that they're clearing and I have some very sad opinions of that, but mm-hmm. you know, there'd be a lot of rainy days and obviously they can't do a lot of civil work when it rains. And so I wondered sometimes, is that really a, is that specific case a disruption or was that already planned for? Like, did you already plan for having 10 rainy days in, you know, Georgia yeah. or does the disruption become like when we have an ice storm and now you can't get out to it for a week? Like, can you plan for some of that disruption? That's yeah. And I, I'm wondering if that kind of leads into like this whole predictive insights, predictive analytics. And, you know, there is contingency planning, I think that happens like in the very um, beginning stages of a project. Um, but I think ongoing, you know, it's interesting because there are times that we just can't predict for, you know, it's not an input into a, mach- a machine and we're going to be able to account for it. So I think it, there is kind of a objective and a subjective way to um, measure that disruption. And, and again, by categorizing it, is it, is it a loss? Is it maybe you just lost, you know, time because of the weather, but maybe there you had a, you know, your all-star superintendent just took a new job and now you're like, I don't have, how am I going to have this role? <laughs> you're left hanging, you know, you got like a multi-billion dollar contract and now your, your, your head uh, captain is just like not there. So, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of that disruption. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of it. I think it's all organizational. I think it comes back to looking at it from that lens. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is um, the culture. And mm-hmm. I know we've talked about culture a lot together in the CPC. Yeah. Um, shout out to all of them. Yeah. But, um, For the architect in the room, can you tell me what CPC means? Construction Progress Coalition. See, I would, I would have, I don't know what I would have said, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. and it, go ahead, Bianca. We're bonded over our uh, our shared pains. Hashtag shared pains. <laughs> yeah, including a large number of RFIs because of those dang architects, Christopher. <laughs> hey, it's all right. We called you guys dumb contractors, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and I think so. That goes back to like the um, kind of like those preconceived notions that you know like every someone had asked me they they asked me how do you define an architect versus an engineer versus a construction manager and you know that's so so architects I think are responsible for like the design aspect and then you have the engineers to make sure that it's like structurally sound and then like construction managers are like the operations side so making sure it gets executed so it's it's interesting like you know even though every um, discipline is working on a different component of this this project. I think there is there are those shared pains where we're like, oh yeah, that I I've lived that I've breathed that, um, and that, and then especially with like the disruption. But I will say, I, you know, I think architecture and engineering firms typically seem to be um, want to learn. Uh, like I think ARVR comes to mind. Like, but now I think ARVR is made. You know huge strides on the job site over like the last six months when maybe like two years ago, people were like, no, that's not going to happen. And it is. So. Well, and that, I think that's the beauty of, uh, well, not, there was no beauty, but for this last year that we've all dealt with was it forced us into the, like, we never could, we couldn't say, ah, I don't want to get into that. We didn't have a choice. 
and it kind of thrusted most of us. So the firms that said, I can't be remote became remote. And the guy that said, I can't, I have to be on the job site started using a drone. Like everything just changed. And now we've had to do it for so long. I think we have just gotten used to like being able to see things visually or through the drone or VRAR. And so I think in that that was just like a major disruption that had to sort of jolt us to say, okay, you had no choice. Now you do have a choice. Do you want to keep pursuing what we've been doing this last year? Or do we want to revert back to, you know, how it always was? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's such a, a good point of, you know, looking at disruption and those turbulent times um, and then looking for the, the silver lining in that. Um, and so to that point of like this, you know, construction, especially I think was on that precipice. Like we were right there for that, that change of, you know, I don't know if I can go digital completely and have business practices be that way, but now it's like, it's necessary because, and you know what, I think it's, you know, perhaps with the construction um, workforce, I think maybe it's kind of opened up more minds of to say, you know, this was something we were hesitant of looking at, but now it made, it makes so much business sense. So it's, yeah, it's a kind of a win-win despite being such a turbulent year. Um, I think a lot of good did come out of it um, despite some very trying times. So, Yeah, you look at the architects and engineers who are able to collaborate on, you know, a high-rise building Mm -hmm. and they may never see each other in person, but they work together on that building, um, which that's a lot harder to accomplish in construction, of course. Mm Um, but it's, you know, one of those things that's emerged from this and, you know, will definitely continue to grow. Yeah. Um, I saw that you sent something on flex learning and that's something that I've never heard of before. So could you describe that? (laughs) Yeah. So I think when we, so actually it does kind of come off this topic of like what we did in remote collaborative, collaborative work flows because of the pandemic driven by that. Um, and I think with that same spirit of, okay, being flexible in how we adapt to something that we couldn't account for or predict. Um, It's kind of the same notion could be applied to the way we learn or the way we work and kind of having that environment of um, maybe work is done in sprints um, or it's a marathon. So you look at the, the way you train for work and the way you train for the, um, the implementation of a new tool. So the concept of flex learning in my mind is basically taking, um, there's different styles of learning, whether it's like, you know, you'll hear adaptive learning or blended learning, micro learning, and then kind of giving it over to the hands of the individual so that it really does start to sink in. And then, you know, then it starts to become not only something that that individual person feels confident in using, but then when it's deployed, you know, I think there's that confidence it becomes, you know, felt across a team, and then then it starts to drive that usage of that tool up too. So, um, if it depends, you know, again, I think this this concept of remote has perhaps you know brought that more top of mind. But flex to me is like really important in today's the modern times of how we do work and being able to 
make time for learning can be tricky. So making flexible ways to learn and it's kind of like becoming like on the demand too. So mm-hmm. we're seeing a little bit more of that happen. Yes. I think that's huge for any company to take away is just, if nothing else, the, the concept of being flexible. And mm-hmm. so now people have gotten used to, you know, working from home or going into the office a few days, or we yeah. have different people work differently. People learn differently. Like, right. you know, some people need to have a quiet space. Some people need that big room. Mm-hmm. And if we, as organizations really try to look at it from the lens of, okay, how can I build a flexible workplace that allows for flexible learning, that allows for flexible work, whether you're coming in or not of the office, you have small places or large places to sit. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that we need to take away from all of this, um, at least the pandemic, because mm-hmm. we've gotten really accustomed to, to this way of, of working and, uh, and it translates to learning as well. So I yeah. think it's a great, great point. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. And I, and I also think, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, in the industry, but like, perhaps that does lead to a a higher happiness quotient. Like we think of, you know, productivity and you don't want to, I mean, a lot of turnover happens because people are burnt out or, you know, they just, you know, weren't given the right tools or they wanted to learn. And like, so they're just, there is kind of like with the flexibility and this embracing of that, that um, kind of this, this understanding that we all are, we all have a lot going on, but I think then it translates into happiness and then just a happier, safer job site. So it, it all kind of connects, <laughs> but the softer side of things <laughs> of disruption. <laughs> right. I, I really like the concept of, you know, micro learning or just learning in bite-sized pieces. Like, you know, I'm about to go fill out this, you know, daily report um, yeah. digitally let me watch this quick video on how to do it rather than, you know, getting trained on this robust tool all at once. And by the time you're done with it, you're just like, oh, thank God that's over. And you don't remember any of it, you know? So I think that the micro learning piece is huge in terms of retention. Definitely. And adoption, of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, even with like, when we talk about integrations too, like that's a perfect example of, you just getting up and running with something now that that makes uh, a lot of sense for platforms to connect. You don't necessarily need a whole lot of training on it. You just need a quick reference guide video, you know, one minute tutorial that shows you, okay, this is what you do. And then you're you know, up and running. You don't really need to revisit it, but then there's like things that are ongoing. So like in your workflows, you might have to always just have that handy so it has to be something like a infographic or visual process flow map that you can look up and so it's just kind of like your dashboard of learning um, different means and methods of learning (laughs) i like it it's the one way to embrace uh disruption is to make sure you understand how to learn (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and just like be adaptable to that so yeah it's good Very good. I guess the one thing we haven't asked you that'd be curious, we've talked about it, but like, how would you define disruption? So uh, disruption in the construction sense to me is something that um, can be taken and helping drive and accelerate change. Um, And whether that is, you know, making the job site more efficient, mitigating risks, um, more sustainable, more safe. Um, it's something that typically 
you know, on initially can evoke these emotions of uh, kind of like a, this is not a good thing, but in reality, if we start to understand and we are defining disruption, looking at disruption with an outcome-based thinking of what is this going to do and um, kind of understanding the, the, the co key components of what that disruption is going to uh, produce in the long term. Um, but then again, if you look at it professionally or you know just uh, holistically, I think disruption is anything that can you know lead to innovation in the long term. So it's just a, again, a, something that's very much constant. Like disruption is always part of our lives. It will it's, it's here to stay. It's been part of history and it's part of the future. So as we study that uh, going forward, I think, you know, disruption is going to be kind of something we'll always be talking about. Yeah, and it's definitely something that you're always striving for. I think it makes me think of that Chinese proverb, when's the best time to plant a tree? 30 years ago, when's the next best time? Today. <laughs> yeah, so, I like yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a great way to end it, Jackson. Well done. This has been great. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, definitely a lot of thought-provoking ideas too that hope to take back too because I feel like this is, you know, it's a learning experience for me too uh, to understand everyone's perspective on disruption. We all kind of define it a little differently, um, but it's it's part of our world. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, it was, I was, we were glad to have you on. I thought it was a good conversation. Um, and it's good to get the different type perspectives, like you said, um, throughout the industry. So it's not just everyone's hearing just that one, but now we really are trying to bring um, that set, that other perspective. And that's why Jackson and I sort of teamed up on this is we do get a construction and architecture perspective for every conversation we have. And so the idea is that we could help push you know, the industry forward with these type conversations. Very cool. Yeah, you guys are doing really great. And I, I love the, the theme and I love the the you know, one, the opportunity to join you, but I, again, I really think it's, these are critical conversations to be having, you know, something I wish we, I would have been exposed to early on in my career. Cause I kind of felt like I was in a vacuum at times, like, oh my gosh, I don't fit in. <laughs> no one mm -hmm. understands the way I think this is terrible. Why? And then people are like, why are you in construction? I'm like, believe me, like it, it I love it. I do. I really do. I have to like convince people, but now it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's construction tech. So it's like, it's a whole new gamut of things. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wild ride for sure. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software, 2022-2023.